As Dr. Meredith so powerfully stated, we all experience tests and trials, and uh, really I wish uh, Dr. Meredith could have gone on for the full sermon. But we do realize we are being tested. As he mentioned, God is testing us, and we will be found wanting. We hope not. We want to be tested and come through the fire as gold in the fire, as Peter says in 1 Peter, the first chapter. We realize that as we go through all these strange things that uh, Peter warned against in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, Romans 8 and verse 28. So we must go forward in faith and commitment to accomplish God's work and his will. And we're very thankful for the progress and the development in God's work and the preaching of the gospel going out in greater power. God's great commandments teach us to love one another and to develop loving relationships. Many years ago, decades ago, when I was teaching a speech class in Ambassador College in Big Sandy, Texas, we had a freshman that had come from a farm, and he was giving his icebreaker. And he said that he really liked the chickens and the ducks much more than he liked human beings. And we can appreciate that because many human beings aren't normal human beings. But God has given us a higher purpose, of course, and uh, we realize that many of you are from a farming background, and as director of admissions for many years at Ambassador College, I found that most of those students who had come from a farming background knew how to work. Uh, they had good experience they up early in the morning doing chores and and, uh, and besides all their schoolwork and all the other activities and responsibilities they had. So God is giving us a testing program. We are in training as kings and priests over the years. It says in Proverbs 12, won't, uh, verse 10, you don't need to turn there, but in regard to our responsibilities over animals and farming and other uh, sustainable agriculture, and the environment that God gives us. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So God expects us to be good stewards over our physical environment, over our physical possession. We know that God gave command to Adam to be a faithful steward over the garden in Eden. He said in Genesis 2.15, you don't, again, don't you need to turn there? Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So God has given us dominion over the physical earth. You might turn to Psalm 8. I'm sure you're familiar with that, but so fundamental to our very purpose in life. King David said in verse 3, Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him or care for him? For you have made him a little while lower than the angels, of the intention of that verse, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Well, all things that are physical at the moment, and eventually the whole universe 
as the margin has here in Hebrews 2 in verse 8. All sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O eternal our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. It's amazing to me. Uh, my wife and I were in uh, SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida one year and saw the uh, killer whales. And here was a trainer, a young lady. I, she couldn't have weighed more than 115 or 120 pounds, commanding a killer whale that must have weighed about three or four tons. And this young lady is telling this huge whale what to do. Absolutely incredible. And then one of the trainers was on the nose of a killer whale and breached up in the water. The whale comes straight up with the trainer on the whale's nose and dives off into the water. Yes, he says, you put you over the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. God is training us to be good stewards, to be governors, to be kings and priests on the earth. But along with that training, we have to learn to be good friends, brothers, sisters in Christ. We're now training to have dominion over everything that exists. What is the purpose of human life? And what is our human destiny? You might turn to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, Matthew 22. The answer lies right here in the two great commandments. Matthew 22, verse 37. This is an answer to the question asked by a lawyer. He said, what is the great commandment of the law? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The parallel verses for the two great commandments, you can just mark that down in Mark 12, verse 30, and Luke 10, verse 27. The two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. They are loving relationships that lead to the abundant life. Now, I used to consider myself a loner as such, but you realize no man is an island, as the famous song and poem goes, that we must all relate to one another somewhere or another. And even though I felt like I was a loner in high school, I was still voted president of the senior class and co-captain of the football team. So even if you're a loner, you still relate to other people. And you want to apply the two great commandments that show your very purpose in life is relationship toward God and relationship towards your neighbor. And he tells us in John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and they have it more abundantly. And that abundant life is by through those two great commandments. 
God expects a certain quality to that relationship, as we just read, to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Turn to James, the fourth chapter, James 4. Here's another command in terms of our relationship with God. James 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I don't know how many times, I don't every day, but I think uh, maybe a few times a week, I claim that promise. I, Father, I'm drawing near to you, and you promised to draw near to me. I claim that promise. It's the greatest relationship that any human being can ever have, is that relationship with our Father in heaven. We have sermon number 850 titled, How Close Are You to God? God expects us to be close to him. He expects us to draw near to him. He expects us to be very close to him. In our human relationships, we feel very close to family members. And some other people in the world, friends, we have a distant relationship with. Again, the theme of this Brick Weekend is building relationships in Christ. So we need to grow in love toward one another. We need to draw close to God and draw close to one another. So if you're very close to someone, what are the characteristics of closeness? God wants us to connect with him and with one another. And we must not neglect our relationship in loving our neighbors as ourselves. We must avoid running away from God. Who did that? Well, you know Jonah actually ran away from God, even after God gave him a mission to perform. We cannot do that. We need to be close to God. The title of the sermon today is Characteristics of closeness. Characteristics of closeness, or a subtitle, How to Have a Loving Relationship. So how can we improve our relationships with God and with one another? We all know that we have to change and grow, Second Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can't stand still. We need to go forward and have that Faith and courage, as Dr. Meredith brought out in the sermonette. We must go forward. What do we need to develop? Well, one of the ways of developing is to know yourself. You need to know what you need to change, what you need to overcome. And, of course, we have human nature. We know the enemies. We just heard about the sermonette, Satan. We must overcome him. And Dr. Meredith gave the sermon last week on overcoming Satan and demons. And we must overcome the influence of the world and overcome ourselves and human nature. How well do you know yourself? The 18th century Scottish poet Robert Burns composed the famous poem, To a Louse. He was looking at the little creature wandering through the hair of a lady seated in front of him. 
And the eighth stanza of the poem contains a well-known phrase in Scottish, O wad some power the gifty geus to see ourselves as others see us. Or in modern English, O would that some power give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us. And I know that uh, we, we can very well evaluate others. I can evaluate my wife and she can evaluate me. But do you and I have character flaws that others can see but to which we ourselves are blinded? I uh, take the courage, I say, for once a year at least to ask my wife, you know, before Passover, well, honey, what one thing do you think I need to change in my life? And she'll start off, well, this, hey, but, you know, no, I said only one thing, only one thing. She starts listing quite a few, but you know, what is the most important? And it's so helpful to know how others see us because we can be blinded to our character flaws, our invisible flaws. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5, you know that well. If we're going to develop relationships with others, we need to know what to change and how to improve. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. We always cover this before Passover. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the truth. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified? Do you know yourself? The Apostle Paul asks. And across the profound principle and reality of how we relate to one another and how we love one another is that Christ is in us. That's Galatians 2.20, Dr. Meredith's favorite verse. But the greatest reality of how we overcome is through the power of God's Holy Spirit and Christ in us. Know you not that Christ is in you, except you be disqualified. So we need to change and we examine ourselves regularly every year. We have an article in uh, the March-April 2009 Living Church News, self-examination, a vital key to growth. I'll just mention the areas of examination, repentance, prayer, Bible study, fasting, love for the brethren, progress in overcoming, growth in the new covenant, tithes and offerings, the admonitions of Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and support of God's work. That's, that's quite a large territory to examine, and yet when we examine ourselves, we know that we can establish ourselves being in the faith. And that's the positive part of it that we just read in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. If Christ is in us, we know that we can have the faith and the courage and the love to go forward and to change and to develop. You cannot force another person to change, and many husbands have tried to make that, have made that mistake. You can only change yourself. I have uh, a textbook that uh, was one of the courses I took many years ago. It's called uh, Interpersonal Communication by uh, Patton and Giffen. And in the chapter here, titled Chapter 9, Guidelines for Improving Interpersonal Communication, 
is a cartoon series of uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy. The first frame, they're standing at a wall and Charlie Brown's looking very meditative and Lucy turns to him and says, discouraged again, eh, Charlie Brown? Next frame, she says, you know what your trouble is? The whole trouble with you is that you're you. And he turns to her and says, well, what in the world can I do about that? And she says, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. I merely point out the trouble. <laughs> so, well, we do need to ask others for help in changing our lives. And uh, one of the areas of uh, examination, other than the ones that I pointed out, is personality as well. You know some individuals who are very, uh, let's say, uh, brisk, uh, not very polite, maybe very sometimes offensive. You know, that, that's not the kind of personality that I want. Uh, there are inventories for analyzing your personality types. Uh, one is called the Briggs-Meyer uh, personality, 16 types. How many of you have ever taken the Briggs-Meyer 16 personality type inventory? Okay, quite a few of you, surprising. Say so that's a good 21.3% uh, 20, of you have taken the Briggs-Meyer's. And uh, I just took it for the first time the other day. I won't tell you which of the 16 personality types I am, but this I did find out that my personality type has a clear moral code that guides their behavior and their expectations from others. And I also found out that my personality type, uh, there were famous people listed that had the same personality type. One of them was Sam Walton, who uh, developed uh, the uh, Walmart. And another one was President William Howard Taft, the 27th President of the United States, and the 10th Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, the only person to have held both offices, both President and Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. That makes me feel pretty good, you know. Of course, that wasn't me, but that was a supposed personality type. And uh, turn to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. So you might, I would encourage you to do that. Just go online and put in uh, Google 16 personality types and uh, you can get a free inventory. And there are 16 different types that uh, can uh, show you a little bit who you are. You may not totally agree with it, but at least it'll give you some kind of an insight on your characteristics, your personality types, and perhaps how you can change and how you can become more of a loving neighbor. So we all have different personalities. Jesus' apostles, the twelve, all had different personalities. You know how Peter was a, a leader, very aggressive, and sometimes too presumptuous at, at part. But when he was converted, those aspects, those personality traits, character traits, were all used to God's glory. So we all have different personalities, but we all need what? We all need divine, righteous, holy, godly character. 
And that righteous character is displayed by many different personalities in a loving way. But we need to make sure that we're overcoming daily. And not only has God given us different personalities, he's given us different spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, starting in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, gifts of healings, another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, another discerning of spirits, different types of languages or tongues to another interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each, each one individually as he wills. So you need to discover what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses so that you can be a more loving, effective disciple and ambassador of Christ. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So we are all one in Christ. And though you have different personalities, we have different gifts. But we have to use those gifts to God's honor and glory. And I know one time one person was kind of wondering, feeling guilty because she knew that this other woman was a very effective caregiver, spending hours and hours and hours helping someone who was ill or who was disadvantaged. And thought, well, she felt guilty. Well, I, I, I'm not the same kind of person. No, we don't all have the same gifts. Some might have the gift of being a caregiver, and others might have a gift of serving in other ways. And he goes on, of course, here in 1 Corinthians 12 to show the different parts of the body. We're not all eyes. We're not all ears. We all have our own function, and the main responsibility is for us to acknowledge, am I fulfilling my Christian responsibilities? Am I fulfilling the strengths and gifts that God has given me effectively in building loving relationships? in Christ. We need to continue to grow and develop our gifts, our skills and abilities, and to serve God wholeheartedly with those gifts. And we should never stop learning. I came across this article in the USA Today newspaper, June 8, 2015. Headline, quote, 99-year-old woman graduates from college. The article goes on to say, few college graduates have seen what Dorothea Daniels has seen. At 99 years old, Daniels have lived through a number of watershed moments in American history, including the Great Depression, World War II, the Civil Rights Movement, the moon landing, and the rise of the digital age. All these events pale in comparison to what happened on Friday. In what she describes as a gratifying moment of her life, Daniels graduated from the College of the Canyons in Santa Clara, 
Santa Clarita, California, with an associate degree in social sciences. So here's a 99-year-old who even achieved an associate of arts degree. And by the way, uh, those of you who are a little younger than 99 and yet over 65 can still audit free of charge a living university class. So uh, if you're still over 65 and yet not 99, uh, you can still take a free class or a living university. Well, it tells us here in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So we're not all eyes and ears, but we do have different gifts. And how do we apply those gifts? And how can we apply the characteristics of closeness in our lives? And what is the most powerful force in the universe? Of course, it follows in the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But 1 Corinthians 12, the last verse, verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes on with the beautiful characteristics of godly love. It is the greatest power of all. We're not born with godly love. We pray that most human beings will have natural affection. Uh, some do not have natural affection, as the Apostle Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3, about perilous times will come in the end time, without natural affection. But godly love is a gift from which, for which we're not inherently born or have within our own nature. So let's turn to Romans 5, verse 5. Romans 5, verse 5. Here we know the most powerful force in the universe, and yet God is willing and has given that and is giving that to his converted children. The most powerful force in the universe. Romans 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which, as it should read, was given to us. How do you have the love of God? Through the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts, into our minds. He goes on to say in verse 6, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man, Will one die? Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the purpose of life is to have loving relationship towards God and towards our neighbor. And yet God made the first move. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated that love. Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We've been saved by our past sins, by the blood of Christ, 
we are now being saved. It tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, 4th chapter. And also, we shall be saved. Those that endure to the end shall be saved, and we shall be saved by his life. So how much of your character is godly love? How much of your character is carnal human nature? Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to define love as outgoing concern for another person. And he talked about the two ways of life. The way of get and the way of give. Acts 20.35, you all know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Or as Moffat has, it's happier to give than to get. That's a whole way of life. It's a value that should be a part of your character even now. And must be a part of your character for all eternity. How much of your character is godly love? Another way of describing love is perceiving the needs in another person or others and fulfilling that need in a godly way. And so our deacons and deaconess sometimes know the problems of church members and they want to help some of our widows and others who are poor. And they know their needs. Well, some say, well, I didn't know this other person's needs. Well, if you're communicating and love and asking God to reveal that, you will know some other person's needs and how you can care for them. We have several sermons, of course, on love. Sermon 426, Love One Another. Sermon 456 by Dr. Meredith, Love Each Other as Christians. Uh, sermon number 510, Unconditional Love. And a Pentecost sermon uh, this year by Mr. Hernandez, A Love Story in Seven Chapters. Well, I hope to hear that sometime in the future. So we all have different personalities. We all have different spiritual gifts and talents that God has given us. And we must develop those gifts and talents in order to effectively develop relationships in Christ. The greatest characteristic of godly closeness is godly love. I hope you're praying for that gift every day. Pray that not only do you reflect Jesus Christ, but that you radiate the fruits of God's Holy Spirit of love, joy, and peace, and that you radiate loving concern. Pray that you can use your personality to encourage one another. I have another sermon on that, Sermon 630, Encourage One Another. And use your talents and your abilities Turn to Proverbs 16, verse 21, a little example of how to use your personality in helping others. Proverbs 16 and verse 21. Proverbs 16. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. In other words, your communication, the words, the phrases that you use in talking with others increases learning. 
or as the NRSV has it, the wise of heart is called perspective. And pleasant speech increases persuasiveness. So we need to use our personalities to encourage others and to help others. Turn to Proverbs, the 14th chapter, Proverbs 14. <clears throat> well, the very purpose of life is to develop loving relationships with our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ, and with our neighbors, parents, spouse, children, family, and friends. But are there some relationships that we should avoid? We're discussing how to improve relationships, but should you ever terminate a relationship? Well, the Proverbs give us good advice in terms of whom you should have a relationship with and whom you should not have a relationship with. Proverbs 14 and verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you perceive, when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. So there are times to terminate a relationship or to avoid a relationship. Proverbs, the first chapter, emphasizes that point as well. Proverbs 1 and verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And as Dr. Meredith was pointing out in the sermonette, the sinners are the whole media of its various forms imposing upon us 24-7. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. So the principle is choose your friends carefully. I was listening to an old radio program by Mr. Herbert Armstrong. Someone gave me a, a CD of one of them. He was speaking of false ministers mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11. And he said, now you're told to try the spirits whether they be of God. And then Mr. Armstrong said in this radio program, so listen, it's right to listen to preaching, but you open your Bible and do like the Bereans did and search the scriptures whether these things are so and do it with prejudice, without prejudice. <laughs> okay. If you find the man is wrong, if you find the man is a hateful sort of thing or something, don't get wrangled up about it. Don't get bitter. You can have love for him but still not have anything to do with him. And you can still have love. You're supposed to love your enemies, but you don't have to agree with your enemies. And neither should we follow the teachings or the ways of the devil. Now, my friends, the church is that body, and God has given us a job to do. And Christ assigned the commission, go into the world. So yes, there are people to avoid, but as Mr. Armstrong said, you can still love your enemies. I have back to the interpersonal communication textbook. There's a subhead here on page 359, 
titled Deciding to Terminate, Maintain, or Change a Relationship. So can you terminate a relationship? We just read in the Proverbs those circumstances in which you should terminate a relationship. But here he goes on to say, first you may terminate the relationship if you see fit. You avoid or at least stop seeking out this person. That's on page 359. Then it gives three principles, and of course there are many principles, but I'll just mention these because it's a very helpful uh, perspective. Improving a relationship gives three uh, basic principles. It's on page 362 and 363. Accurate empathy. How do you improve a relationship with someone? Accurate empathy, empathy, which means I am with you. I understand where you're coming from. You're in pain. I understand why you're in pain. Because I have felt pain before. I know some church members said, well, Mr. Ames, you don't understand the pain that I'm experiencing through this cancer. Well, no, I didn't have the cancer pain, but I've had excruciating back pain, and I can still identify with your problem. So accurate empathy. Non-possessive warmth is another principle. Caring about the other person without imposing conditions. That is non-possessive warmth. And a third principle for uh, improving relationships is genuineness. That is, consists of being open and frank at all time. It involves being yourself. So those are helpful principles in improving your relationships. And of course, we need to make sure that those relationships have respect, have outgoing concern, have godly love. I'd like to recommend to you a Tomorrow's World telecast. It's out of Canada uh, by Mr. Weston, In Search of Love. In fact, it's currently on our tomorrowsworld.org homepage. If you go to the homepage, down in the middle is Mr. Weston's telecast, In Search of Love. And uh, it's a very good program. He describes research that demonstrated little babies' growth is stunted when deprived of orphan, of love. For example, orphans placed in an institution where they're not picked up and loved by the nurses. The research has shown that for every three months in an institution, a child loses an average of one month of growth. But Mr. Weston con continues in that telecast saying, but infants are not the only ones who need love. Children of all ages want to know that they are loved by their parents. Sometimes we don't communicate that love between members of the same family. That same telecast has a uh, shows the film of the famous Fiddler on the Roof, or a segment of that. I was surprised, I presume uh, the Canadian office got permission to show Fiddler on the Roof in that telecast on, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the telecast uh, In Search of Love. 
So at the section on the fiddler on the roof, the husband, Tevier, and uh, Mr. Hernandez has sung some of Tevier's songs for us before. Tevier keeps asking his wife, Golda, do you love me? And she just talks about something else, and he persists, do you love me? And after several times, she finally says, I suppose I do. Then Tevia responds and says, and I suppose I love you too. Then he concludes, after 25 years, it's good to know. Oh, you know, did it take 25 years for them to say, I suppose I love you? But you want to see that uh, telecast uh, in search of love on our, our website. So do we, brethren, communicate love to our family and friends, and particularly husband and wife? The greatest characteristic of closeness is godly love. Do we communicate our love to God the Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ? Have you ever told God, your Father, I love you? Have you ever told Jesus Christ, our great high priest at God's right hand, I love you? Two weeks ago, Dr. Winnell gave a sermon titled, Are You a Christian? And he asked the question, why are you a Christian? And if you've not previously answered that question, I'd like to ask that question to you again right now. Take a moment right now to think of your reason or reasons. Why are you a Christian? It came to my mind in the audience immediately, I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ paid for my sins with his blood. Therefore, I'm his bondservant. He purchased me from death. He redeemed me. I took a survey yesterday at the headquarters office building asking the same question. What, why are you a Christian? I'm, thank you very much for all of you who responded. I don't have time to share all of them, but I'll share a few of the responses to that question. Why are you a Christian from some of our headquarters brethren? Answer, because there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, Acts 4, verse 12. Only in Christ is there salvation from death. Because Christianity is the only means of becoming how our Creator intends us to be. It allows us to be fulfilled as human beings and to experience a relationship with our spiritual Father who loves us and wants to act in our lives. Another one. I am a Christian because it is the only way by which I can fulfill the purpose of my existence to become a literal child of God. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, and Acts, verse 4, 12. Because the Father brought me to Christ to help me to be like my Father. I am so grateful. Praise God. Another response, I became a Christian because 
I am foolish, weak, and base. With a reference to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 and 28. And the Father drew him to me, or drew me to him. Reference John 6, 44. I continue to live a Christian in the hope that I may overcome, be a part of the royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9, and inherit a lot of awesome promises leading up to and including all things, Revelation 21.7, that Dr. Meredith mentioned in the sermonette. I'll read one more. I have a favorite quote. Who you are is God's gift to you. Who you become is your gift to God. I am a Christian because I want to give back. We're the only part of God's creation which was left incomplete and the only part which requires our own active participation to become complete. Isn't that amazing to consider? I want to become the person God meant me to be, to please my Father and become an active part of what he wants his Father and his universe to grow into. So I hope that all of you have made a solid reason for being a Christian. And of course, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that lies within you. Have an answer for why you are and who you are. We asked the question earlier, how close are you to God? That was the sermon number 850. In that sermon, we found individuals who were not close to God. You think biblical examples off the top of your head? Mention Jonah, who ran away from God. And Adam and Eve, they hid themselves from God. And the foolish virgins, who didn't prepare for the bridegroom. Can you think of those in the Bible who were very close to God and that God was with them? The teenager Joseph, even when he was in prison in Egypt, God was with him. And Samuel, growing up as a little boy to become a priest of God. And King David, again, all of these individuals said God was with them. And John the Baptist. And of course Hebrews the 11th chapter shows those who were close to God. Had that faith and courage that Dr. Meredith talked about in the sermonette. So what are some of the characteristics of closeness? We've already mentioned the greatest one of all. That is the gift of godly love through his spirit. Romans 5 verse 5. But let me give you one more, or a few more, depending on the time we have. Number one characteristic of closeness is the love of God. We already discussed that. Number two is to seek God. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11. And you're very familiar with that section on faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. We want to please God. And God will give you that faith. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not casually, once a week on the Sabbath, but diligently seek him, many times a day. Dr. Meredith's sermon last week, Overcoming Satan and His Demons, he concluded that sermon by saying, One thing I want you to get from this sermon is to seek God all day long. You will win the battle. You will overcome. Seek God all day long. In that sermon, he stated, Young people, be in touch with God on a daily basis. Then he asked, How close are you to God? What would turn you aside? And he also mentioned how Mr. Herbert Armstrong would sometimes pray 30 to 60 times a day. Of course, they can be short prayers for little things, thanking God for little things, thanking God for big things. They should be short prayers asking God for help. I told her the story the one time when I was in a car with a friend and instead of we're driving along the road and instead of the driver looking at the road, he was looking at me and driving. <laughs> I was getting a little concerned. The car in front stopped and I immediately prayed, help! So that was my prayer. And thankfully, he's put on the brakes enough to stop before he crashed into the car that had stopped in front of him. He wasn't looking straight ahead while he was driving like he should have. But we can have short prayers. And you know how Daniel prayed three times a day, Daniel 6.10. And that was when he knew that he was going to be thrown into the lion's den if he did pray three times a day on his knees. You pray three times a day on your knees. And you know King David prayed three times a day on his knees as well, or at least three times a day in Psalm 55, verse 17. And we sing that psalm in uh, Psalm 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The first characteristic of closeness is to have the love of God. The second is to seek God continually. The third one is to know the other person. And uh, John 17.3 this is uh, from actually Mr. Wally Smith's telecast, Can I Really Know God?, which is April 17th, 2016. If you haven't seen that telecast, I'd certainly recommend that since we're talking about relationships. Can I really know God? And that's John 17.3, as he quoted in that telecast, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then we had the sermon by Dr. Meredith, just March 19th, just a, a couple months ago. The real Jesus Christ. It was a must-play sermon. 
The world doesn't know the real Jesus Christ. The world is following a false Christ. And those images sometimes can influence us if we're not careful. There is a book called The Man Nobody Knows by Bruce Barton. And uh, he was the founder of one of the most successful advertising agencies in the United States. In fact, uh, BBDNO was once of our agency, uh, television agency for uh, the World Tomorrow telecast years ago. We actually visited their office in Atlanta. Well, uh, Bruce Barton was the founder of that agency. He had a false concept of Jesus. How did he correct that false concept? By reading the Bible. He wrote in the book, The Man Nobody Knows. Mr. Armstrong referred to that book. And also the book, The Book Nobody Knows. Bruce Barton became a businessman. He saw the contradiction between his concept of Jesus and the spread of Christianity. And he wrote in the book, The Man Nobody Knows, quote, The more sermons the man heard, speaking of himself, and the more books he read, the more mystified he became. One day he decided to wipe his mind clean of books and sermons. He said, I will read what the men who knew Jesus personally said about him. I will read about him as though he were a new historical character about whom I had never heard anything at all. The man was amazed. A physical weakling? Where did they get that idea? Jesus pushed a plane and swung in ads. He was a successful carpenter. He slept outdoors and spent his days walking around his favorite lake. His muscles were so strong that when he drove the money changers out, nobody dared to oppose him. A killjoy? He was the most popular dinner guest in Jerusalem. The criticism which proper people made was that he spent too much time with publicans and sinners and enjoyed society too much. They called him a wine-bibber and gluttonous man. When the man finished his reading, referring to himself, Bruce Barton, when the man finished his reading, he exclaimed, this is a man nobody knows. <laughs> well, certainly the world doesn't know the true Jesus Christ of the Bible. And we continually challenge our audiences, both in the publishing world, the internet world, and the television world, to make sure that they are reading their Bible and finding the true, real Jesus Christ. I've told you my own story as a 12-year-old when I was growing up in a Protestant church, and I began to doubt. I heard, who is this Jesus? I keep hearing about him. And I decided on my own at 12 years of age that I would just start reading about, similar to what Bruce Barton did as an older businessman, but at age 12, I started reading through math, the book of Matthew. And after I got through all the genealogy and got through up to the Sermon on the Mount, started reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I was astounded as a 12-year-old because I had been in boxing matches with some neighbors and I read where it says, Jesus said, when someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. What? That was absolutely revolutionary in my little 12-year-old mind. And I thought, wow. This is a different way of life. So it had an impact on me. God didn't call me until about age 25 
But still they had that little notion into me. They gave me that little hint ahead of time. Well, how much do you know about the life of Jesus of Nazareth? Do you know about his Galilean ministry? Can you tell about his life? Give a short biography of the life of Jesus. Do you know any of his titles or names? How many of the titles and names of Christ do you know? You can go on the internet or any Bible dictionary, Unger's Bible dictionary or Bullinger's companion Bible, and you'll find lists of at least a hundred titles and names. I was looking at one the other day on the internet. 144 titles and names of Jesus. And here's a poster that you can come up and see afterwards, and he shall be called. And here are many of the titles and names of Jesus. I won't uh, read them off the way, but just off the top of my head, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. He's the resurrection and the life. John 11, the story about Lazarus. And he shall be called Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the end of his kingdom, there shall be no end, it goes on to say. He's the Savior of the world. When Jesus was with the Samaritan woman at the well in, in John, the fourth chapter, she went back and told the community, and they all came out and heard him speak, and they said, He is indeed the Savior of the world. That means the Savior of all the 8.3 billion human beings on the earth today. He is that Savior. And John 4, verse 14 also states, He is the Savior of the world. And you know that He is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 17, 14 and Revelation 19, 16. And He is our wonderful, great High Priest. The whole book of Hebrews is called the priesthood book. And one of my favorite scriptures in that is Hebrews 7.25. That he, referring to Christ as high priest, ever lives to make intercession for us. For he is able to save us to the uttermost or forevermore. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As John the Baptist said in John 1, verse 29, and John 1, verse 36. He's the bread of life. John 6, verse 35, and John 6, 48. So he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Anointed One. So we need to know the other person. We need to know about his life and exchange personal information. We need to know about the other person and let the other person know more about us. 
Thank you all for being here for this brick weekend. It's a wonderful weekend to become acquainted with new people and also to learn how to develop loving relationships with one another. So we've emphasized the greatest characteristic of closeness of all, and that is the love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us. And we know that we can love one another more by seeking God and being closer to him, drawing near to him. And we need to know the other person. We need to know Jesus Christ even more. And you need to know more than maybe five or six or ten names and titles of your Savior. Let's turn finally to John 15 and verse 1. John 15. We have close relationships, and John 15 shows that being branches in the vine is a very close relationship. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And the admonition to read the Bible daily helps you to be clean spiritually, mentally. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So brethren, we abide in the vine. We walk in Christ. We live in Christ and he lives in us. And verse 8, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So on this brick weekend in which we're emphasizing developing godly relationships, let's all abide in the vine. Let's all use the greatest power of all in the universe, the very love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God is the greatest characteristic of closeness. Let's continually draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Then we can all build loving, godly relationships.